Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. So think about it now. We assemble Tim Beckley and Jeremy Vaney here, and Jeremy is sitting here eating popcorn. He's not listening to anything we're saying. He is eating popcorn. Jeremy, why are you doing that? Well, basically, uh, it's Utz popcorn. It's, uh, if I can give a, a plug, and maybe they'll give me some uh, free stuff. It's a buck eighty-three, and uh, I just uh, got done doing the Culture of Contact Festival not a week ago or so. Yeah, it cost me the shirt off my back. So popcorn is dinner. Okay, so basically you have no shirt, and you're eating popcorn. I'm shirtless eating popcorn, just as the babes demand of me, Gene. What babes? Quiet. <laughs> Welcome to the Popcorn Hour. <laughs> Brought to you by Orville Redenbacher, that strange guy with the glasses who actually saw a UFO. He did? In Hawaii, he saw a UFO. He was attending an herb convention. Of course, you know, herbs for his corn, because that has butter, salt, and herbs on it. So... He was in Hawaii, and he saw a UFO, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or so says Tom Cruise. Now I'm drinking Turkey sure Hill Raspberry Iced Tea, which is also inexpensive. Just, just throwing that out there for anyone else who... Uh, That's a brand of the money people. at the Turkey culture Hill. of contact. <laughs> you know, yet uh, I heard Jeremy talking about uh, getting ready for next year's event. Are you still planning one for next year, Jeremy? Um, I am planning one. I don't think the public is, though. I don't think they're quite ready for this. No, you know what's funny... The more I think about it, the more I think the only way to get the public interest is to disguise this as something else. And that sounds so right-wing, fundamentalist Christian to me that I don't know if it's worth doing it again next year, frankly. You know, I've been a veteran of putting on UFO shows since, oh, I guess, the 1970s. I ran the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences, you know, and I put on maybe a good dozen or 15 programs around the country. And and there was a... A tendency in the last few years that I did the shows to see the number of people who attended Dwindle. Now, at the peak, I was drawing in fairly good uh, crowds. We had a couple of uh, events in uh, Phoenix, and uh, Gene, I think that was before you moved there, uh, actually. It was, but and I attended one of them. Did you, uh, That's uh, right. And we had uh, the first one that we did there, the crowds were so large that they actually had to get police out to uh, get people on and off the, uh, the the ramp from the the highway in order to get to the parking lot. That was kind of a logistical problem because the parking lot was situated like five feet off the uh, the ramp, I mean, which was kind of not the way to, to build a parking lot, but I guess that hotel wasn't used to getting four or five hundred people like the, you know that attended our, our show. But as the years went on, the crowds did get smaller and smaller and less uh, enthusiastic. We found that we had to change the names of the program from UFOs to UFOs and conspiracies, UFOs and New Age, UFOs and this and that, in order to bring in a lot of uh, different uh, elements. Now, this goes back to the old uh, hoopla that we've talked about on the air, that I've heard you guys talk about on the uh, on the air, about having people on the program who don't necessarily represent the uh, the true ufology. Sometimes you've got to have somebody on the program you might not like because, they, you know, they're going to bring in 50 or 100 people. You've got to have all the elements into place in order to draw a crowd. And also, one thing that you need that you didn't have is you need a publicist. You have to fill the airwaves with uh, all kinds of hoopla about the uh, conference uh, a week before the uh, the show. Now that's, that's actually more- that's actually not so true. We did have we had a PR guy who got us into newspapers, and we had we had been on a few radio shows. And I know that you know above top secret, those guys were supposedly doing radio interviews and also advertising us heavily on there. 
website. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we had the presence. We just we were uh, as well. Don't forget the PowerCast. We were advertising your That's show true. every single week. And our uh, newsletter every Friday that goes out to quite a few the thousand people, we had it as the main item three weeks in a row. I mean, here's the thing. We've we've got an art show currently still running in Hoboken. It's in New Jersey. It's the middle of nowhere, and there are hundreds of people going to that. So what does that tell you? It's a free event. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's art, so they can hide behind the word art and not conference, and uh, people go to it. So, you know, maybe that's what we would have to do next year is do some sort of performance art thing, you know, <laughs> with speakers instead of just, you know, uh, well, I, presentations. I noticed when, when you had the War of the Worlds, the uh, George Powell uh, 1953 version on uh, on Saturday night, the place was not full by any means because you got a huge auditorium there that holds like uh, uh, 1,500 people, but people did come in in a steady, uh, a steady stream. Right. Yeah, now, yeah. And the, in fact, the manager suggested that next time, to just advertise the movie as a standalone so that we would get, you know, three to five hundred people. And I guess my point to that is, then what is the point of doing this? Yeah, if three to five hundred people are just going to come for the movie, only, I mean, if it's, yeah, what's only, the point of, there's no message there anymore. Not only do you end up eating popcorn for a year, uh, but uh, you're right. I, now, that's, that's the way I've always felt about this. Why people ask me to speak at a, um, a conference or something, and I, I, I don't like speaking, uh, I'm not a platform speaker, I leave that to Stan Freeman and... Uh, you know, Steve Bissett or something like that. I, that's just not my, uh, what I'm into. I'm, uh, basically a publisher, you know, and I enjoy doing the radio shows like Give and Take Here because we're all buddies and we can hang out, you know, for a couple of hours. But what's the purpose of lecturing or talking to, to 50 people or something like that? I mean, uh, you're, you're speaking to the choir, as they say, so. You know, I want to bring something back. First of all, before we do that, Jeremy, tell people who are wondering what we're talking about, what was this event, where was it held, and what made it less than successful? It was the Culture of Contact. It was a UFO convention. It was at the Landmark Lowe's Theater in Jersey City, New Jersey. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, the event itself was was pretty stunning. I, I, the speakers were great. The uh, The music was fantastic. The movies were great. The venue was great. Everything was great, just no turnout. By so the way, one of the, the featured speakers was none other than our own David Biedney. Yeah, I should have said besides David Biedney, the speakers. Were In fact, but, don't mention anybody else. It was just David. <laughs> yeah, but, even... so what, what, what makes it not popular? I think uh, UFOs makes it not popular. I think it's not as popular a subject as we would like it to be or believe that it is. Now, Tim, let's go back through time. Back in yeah, the yeah. 60s and 70s, and I was part of it, you were part of it, That's Jim right. Mosley and you held regular meetings in New York. Weekly meetings. Weekly uh, meetings in New York, and the yeah. attendance was pretty decent. Sometimes you had hundreds of people there, maybe even I, thousands. Well, again, it, was, it wasn't all strictly UFOs. I mean, Jim's was more UFOs than mine was. So I, I started getting into the, the Wick, you know, Wiccan uh, stuff and prophecy and astral projection when I had the occult center. And, uh, and once in a while, we'd have a UFO uh, a speaker. There weren't really that many UFO speakers uh, around in the early 70s when I was like doing this, I was kind of like the dark ages for uh, UFOs. I was actually one of the few that was even traveling around the country doing radio and TV uh, shows to, to, to promote the subject as a subject. I have no particular axe to grind, no particular theory to uh, promote, but I've always been fascinated by the subject, which is due to the fact that I've had three sightings of my own and a host of other unexplainable uh, things happen to me over the course of my life. Uh, and so this intrigues me. Now, I don't know why it pulls me in, in that direction all the time. I, I, I seem to leave the subject for a while, and I get exhausted with it and tired and say, the heck with this, and then I find myself going back to it again. 
But uh, yes, we did it. You know, we did it on and off for quite a number of uh, years in the New York area. But we also had a, had shows in San Diego and in Phoenix and Mesa, Arizona, and uh, Denver, uh, Colorado. We had a huge hotel uh, lobby and. Denver, we had Jesse Marcel Jr. I think this was one of his first actual public appearances. And you want to know something? There were a thousand people in the lobby milling around looking at trinkets and books. When it came to hearing the actual lectures, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty at the most. The other people were more interested in sitting outside and chatting and uh, drinking coffee and, and, and going through uh, books. Now they don't go through the books either, so that's another story. But. Do you think that another problem, Tim... You know, and I've okay. heard the economy, and maybe that's part of it too. But but another problem is that that there is so little now that you can hear that is different from when you were doing it ten years yeah. ago, fifteen years ago. That it's not worth it for people to come out and hear the same stuff again and get no answers. Yes, you know who, and again, who are the most popular speakers are the ones that have the answers, the one that wraps the people that wrap it up in religion or wrap it up in in, in some cult that they want to push which actually has nothing or very little to do with the true nature of uh, UFOs, as uh, all of us probably uh, recognize. But those are the ones that still seem to uh, draw a, a, a little bit of a crowd, although this is interesting. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, uh, Jeremy, your show was going on in uh, Jersey City. Uh, there was another program going on in uh, New England. It was, I believe, called the Monster Mash. And they had Nick Redfern and, oh, quite a few other speakers, fairly well known in the the ghost and cryptozoology uh, the department. And uh, I thought myself, well, geez, these people are going to get a crowd of three or four hundred. Less than a hundred showed up for three days. Hmm. It's, uh, it, it is partly the economy and partly the fact that uh, you can turn on the Paracast and, and get a much better conversation with a better audio. Mm-hmm. I, I would think, you know, but who am I to judge? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there are some keys to understanding here that when you talk about the kind of thing people tend to do. They talk to each other. They're looking for a situation where they don't necessarily just want to listen to a speaker. They want to talk to each other. And uh, people, I think, seek out events like this for, for just that kind of an opportunity to be interactive, something you couldn't do over the radio, really, unless you have a call-in show, which is uh, you know, obviously more one-on-one. At the same time, look at the success of events on the West Coast, Recently, I heard that the last UFO conference thing in San Francisco supposedly attracted a couple of thousand people. So maybe part well, of I, it is I that... Don't, I wouldn't dispute that because I wasn't there, but I don't think that's the case. But on the other hand, look at the, the look at the people who are on the on the program. They're all geared to bring in uh, two or three hundred uh, people individually. You know, they're like megastars, uh, Hoagland and uh, Nori and so forth and so on. And... Um, that wasn't on your program there, uh, Jeremy. Well, we had the UFO hunter. <laughs> That's true. What, what more do they want? They've got a UFO hunter, damn it. Well, you should have had a UFO hunter out in front of the theater handing out flyers or something. <laughs> well, so, Tim, I mean, did you basically come on the show to, like, insult Jeremy? Is that is that what your goal is here? Because, I mean, to say that there was nobody on, I mean, thanks for calling me nobody. Thanks for calling Richard Dolan nobody. No, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. But was, oh, that, no, but uh, you said you had no one on the program. I'm just listening to what you're actually saying. I mean, no, there's that. Listen, if, it, if it were up to if well, it were Tim up to Beckley me, was I, there, I, wow. Probably, I wouldn't, I, like I say, I wouldn't do it anymore. I'd, I'd be scared to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he, uh, you know, could uh, do something like that. I, I you know, I, I think it's a great shot and his heart is in the right place, you know. Well, I was just glad, you know, one thing Dave said in my moment of complete embarrassment was, um, 
that it wasn't a loss for him because he met some people that he otherwise wouldn't have met and, you know, made some new friends, some new connections. And, um, you know, the Dolans were just flat out, I don't know, drawn to or whatever, Teokas and Ghost Horse, uh, who spoke and also performed with his band Ghost Horse. And I think a lot of people got a lot out of, uh, you know, the musical portion of this. So, I, you know, I think on, on the, in these sort of roundabout ways, it was a success. It was just, um, you know, a matter of the public no. not being there. Yeah, from a, from a, certainly from any kind of a point of view of trying to make it something successful for you and that would make you feel good, it, it, it probably wasn't that. And, you know, there's no way to know how an event like that one would have done on the West Coast with some, you know, maybe different kind of promotion as well. I mean, part of the problem, the, the ad in UFO magazine came out, an issue that came out like a few days before the event. And so that's, that's, you know, that's a problem, obviously. Um, and that would have been, I think, if that ad had appeared a couple of months earlier and it continued to run, you know, maybe that might have helped as well. There are lots of things that, you know, potentially can affect you. Obviously, the economy is a huge one right now. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for nineteen ninety-five, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for nineteen ninety-nine, just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item Paracast Offer 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five. Or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y. California 90295, put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast Offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995, or you can call me at 1-888-UFO. 6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You are the Paracast, with Jesus, you never know what's going to happen next. You're listening to Jeremy Vaney. And Tim Beckley, and we're dissecting the Culture of Contact event. Is this the end for successful UFO and paranormal events? 
or does it represent a new beginning that we have to do something different? I wouldn't do it. I once sponsored a UFO convention back in the mid-70s. We lost about $100 from the event, which in 1976 dollars is what now, about three, $400 difference? Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. We had a good time. But we made a lot of stupid mistakes, too, about promotion. I think, in retrospect, there were things we could have done to attract more people. And the question I'd ask you, Jeremy, is we understand the costs involved and everything else, but is Jersey City the place that people want to go to for a UFO-related event? Well, I have thought no, um, but this venue in particular is really attractive, and I knew it had its own built-in crowd for movies. And our PR guy, and uh, I think even Tim said, you know, wow, this is a great place to do this. And we, you know, as far as PR goes, you know, we got the front page. I mean, think about this. We're still getting positive press, right? We got pick of the weekend in the New York Post for things to do. We got the front page of the New Jersey Journal, you know, a great positive spread on us with all the times and dates of everything that's going on. So, you know, people knew about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how people didn't know about it. I just really don't think there's that interest in the way that it is now. I think Tim's right. You need people who have answers, who are going to promise you something um, so that you actually get something out of it. Or, you know, I guess my alternative to that would be to make it more of a performance art sort of thing. Maybe have a music bed underneath the speakers or set the tone somehow, set it in such a way that it is, uh, you know, art and not and not just, you know, you think you're going to some dry speaking event and also maybe do that in Manhattan. Also, too, what, what the uh, the subject is kind of missing at the uh, the moment uh, that we had in the old days is kind of like networking. There were groups in the, in, in the old days, and if you were having an event, members of one group would tell members of another group or somehow pass the word, you know, and I... I, th- there are no really active, like, you know, UFO groups per se in the area except for Pat Marcatilio who came down with his, uh, uh floating uh, museum. That's one of the, uh, one of the problems. You know, and I notice this even in what I do. The people who are on the internet stick to the internet. The people who buy uh, books buy books that are not necessarily on the internet. And people that go to, uh, buy books don't necessarily go to conferences. Because uh, I remember one time I had a mailing list of 14,000 people in California and was doing a, uh, a conference in Palm Springs at a beautiful hotel. And I mailed out a uh, program to each one of those 14,000 people and had uh, about 110 people show up. And our keynote speaker uh, that weekend was Robert Weiss, who was the, uh, the director of the day, uh, day the Earth Stood Still. We mm-hmm. certainly had a lot more people than, uh, than that. But uh, book buyers are not necessarily conference buyers, and there's not very much networking among UFO groups because there aren't any UFO groups per se that have more than a few members, and I didn't notice that they seem to be too active in promoting this. Yeah, well, that, that's certainly true. We did have a lot of online buzz, and certainly, you know, it's all over the place online, and people were saying, you know, this sounds great, this sounds great, but you're right, it just doesn't translate into anything else in the real world, just online, wow, this sounds great. Well, whenever you do direct mail stuff, you're typically happy if you get one to two percent response. Well, it used to be it used to be a little bit more. Now it's gotten to be even uh, much less than that. And of course, the uh, scale uh, skyrockets. I mean, the, the cost of posting has gone up, and of course, the labor oh, yeah. to do a mailing, unless you want to sit there. You know, when I was uh, uh, 15, I might sit there and, and stuff 3,000 envelopes. Nah, I don't feel like doing that too much, you know, because I've done too much of it. The show was good. I mean, there was a lot of good information uh, given out, but it's kind of a shame to waste it on, uh, uh, you know, a small uh, audience in a huge place. The music sounded amazing in that space. 
that uh, the the crystal bowls thing was just pretty outstanding, gorgeous mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, you know, I was really glad to be there that night to watch that. There were other things that went on that evening that were different, but that. Are we going to get into those? Because that's probably what? more interesting to people than than how yeah, all this stuff. Well, then, then we have to tell the story about what happened uh, upstairs and the body, and it just gets kind of ugly. <laughs> what body? Uh, did I say body? Oh, no, 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 no. I meant the Bobby. The Bobby. Yeah, the Bobby. Oh, did I say body? Gee, I'm so sorry. Okay. What were we talking about again? Oh, this is going to be one of those days. What do you mean? <laughs> it's been one of those days. You're right. One of those weeks, months, years. All right. Let's try to make sense of all this, okay? So let's kind of go to the event from beginning to end, forgetting the fact that attendance was miserable, that poor Jeremy is going to be eating popcorn and Milky Ways for the next year. That's and premium milk. white cheddar popcorn, by the way, which is delicious. And I hope if they uh, if they could get in contact with me via the Paracast, that would be fantastic. Well, uh, is that the brand name? Yes, UTZ, Utz. Yeah. Utz. Utz. They make fine potato chips as well. Okay, very good. Well, okay, we should definitely have our sales staff contact them and get some free advertising okay. and free popcorn, ba-boom. But, okay, David, forgetting your participation, of course, which we'll bring up in a moment, the other speakers, anything really significant, anything really of importance in terms of what information they presented? Well, you know, Richard Dolan is always a, a one of my favorite people to hear speak about this topic. He's organized. He's a really capable researcher. Um, he's a good speaker. He's engaging. One of the problems, of course, when you go to see live live events like this is to have speakers who are indeed engaging. And, I mean, I, I suppose it needs to be said. One of the issues, I think, around this topic is that there are a lot of very intense people who are into it who, I think, drink too much Gatorade. I think Gatorade is a problem. Well, I guess we won't be getting them as an advertiser on the Paracast, right? I like Gatorade. You like Gatorade? But it doesn't destroy my brain. Yeah, but they don't make it with something good like stevia. They make it with that uh, that corn syrup, stuff, or is it high fructose corn syrup? So well, I use the low calorie Gatorade called G two. That's low calorie Gatorade. Yes. What's 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 with G two? It sounds like a code name. You drink this stuff? It's G two. It's terrible. Yes. It's a drink name. So there's the Gatorade problem, which I think is substantial. And actually, I believe that uh, Timothy Beckley had a, a suggestion about how to solve the Gatorade problem. Isn't that right, Tim? I, I forget. I must have been drinking too much of it. Really? Yeah. We see there. There's the problem. It's it, we have to solve it somehow. I think we should call the police. In. Okay. So now that we're distributing free Gatorade and Kool Aid. Gatorade? I can't. No. No. No Kool Aid. No Kool Aid. There were some people drinking the Kool Aid, of course. Um. Oh, and and there was Rob Simone. <laughs> yeah, Rob Simone came. What was that about? <laughs> that was now, awesome. Here's the funny you know, We just part, looked right? at each other. We didn't say anything to each other. We just gave each other the uh, nod. And that Did was the really? first and last I saw of him, yeah. Okay, right ladies and first. gentlemen, we need to explain that Rob Simone is a British-based paranormal talk show host. The Art can, Bell of London. Via L.A., via Los Ooh. Angeles. It's the Art Bell of London after his retirement for serious back ailments, I guess. Well, apparently, uh, I guess tan is the new gray. Is that the deal? Or no, tan is the new black. That's what it is. I'm sorry. Very New York. See, because apparently uh, Rob doesn't have any clothes that aren't tan. Really, just everything. It, it, he's got a tan wardrobe. It's quite fascinating. Is this like Steve Jobs, for example, always wearing the polo shirt and the jeans? Uh, it's just far more pretentious. Far more pretentious. Uh, this is a whole different deal. This is nothing like the Steve Jobs thing. I understand you did something supposedly to make him disappear. I, I didn't make him disappear. 
Well, there was a there was a, a slide. <laughs> there was a slide. <laughs> there was a yeah. There was a slide. Uh, it wasn't a dig. It was a slide. Well, technically, it wasn't a slide. See, that's actually inaccurate. It was a screen. Okay. Because you know, I, I love the Apple Keynote software, Apple's fine software for doing presentations that makes PowerPoint irrelevant. You know that one. Brought to you by Apple Computer. Nod, nod, wink, wink. Yeah, right. There you go. Oh, Steve! Steve, pick up the phone. No, Simone walks in, and uh, I just—I was sitting there with Mark Allen actually talking, and uh, and Simone walks in, and I couldn't. At first, I didn't believe it was him. I just thought, no, that can't be. You know. <laughs> but then, what happened was, it was the the glow of the tan, the tan clothing. It glowed, and I noticed the glow. It was this weird thing. This vortex occurred, and the glow of his tan clothing. Did I mention that? Pretty much. I mean, I think he's down to like even like the tan socks. He might have like tan contact lenses as well. Did you look carefully up at his eyes, Jerry? I mean, that, Jerry. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't want to. So be I'm sliding it to the Jerry. There it is. <laughs> Try not to get out of my brain, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone's got to take over where the crocodile hunter gear oh. left off. You know, I mean, that's that's all he's doing. Is that what he's up to anyway? Yeah, no. So so he showed up and actually, well, I I wasn't going to bring it up, but I, we might as well say it. He was there with a. Uh, with a very weird little midget mutant. It might have actually been a gray, but not being a gray, instead being a tan. I think that's what the tan thing is. I know it now. I got it. The tan beige thing. I got it. I know what it is. He's a reptilian trying to be human. And so he figures this is like the camouflage. It's kind of like the character from Silence of the Lambs with the with the suit. <laughs> Something like that. Right, Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. What? Something like that. So anyway, David anyway. then. <laughs> so David, who were the most interesting characters you met during the session? Because supposedly these events are all about the people as much as they are about the speakers. Well, certainly in, in terms of the weekend, I, I made a couple of interesting new friends. And so like Jeremy said, I mean, in some ways for me, it was a really good weekend. Because whenever you make a connection with somebody, that's, a, I think, of a lot of value. So there are a couple of interesting new friends that I, that I that I uh, that I connected with, and I want to thank you for that, Jeremy. I don't know if I really got to thank you for making it happen. In, in, in terms of, you know, I guess there's the issue of quantity and quality, right? And and the quality was high. The quality of the people that was there w- was very high. I'm glad that happened. Yeah, yeah and re- I hope that Brent Hoff, you know, he's one of the people. Uh, you know, he's he's someone who's a fan of your show and my show, and he, you know, he talks on your forum a little bit. And he spoke. We had a, an experiencer panel along with the, you know, just some of the speakers, and invited him up to to speak as well. And he was, you know, funny and charming and eloquent. And I, you know, I, I hope he, um, if if there is more of this stuff to do, I hope he does more of it. Mm-hmm. On the panel, there was that fellow who was sitting at the end. I was hoping you could uh, tell us about him. Um, the fellow was in all in black. Um, Mark Brinkerhoff? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So oh, the short bald guy. Yeah. Actually, Tim Beckley knows uh, him. He's yeah, so a, a I've contactee known, from the early '80s or late '70s I've, somewhere. I've known Mark for probably about uh, 20 years, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, if it wasn't for me, he would have not met his uh, the white uh, the gal that he's married to uh, now. Uh, she was a uh, uh, producer for TV station here, and uh, she was going to do an interview with me, or, or something came up, and I couldn't do it. And uh, uh, Mark had just came on the scene. 
And my uh, fellow that I worked with at the time, my publicist, Harold Selkin, introduced the two of them. They got along uh, very famously and uh, have been a, a couple for all these many years. But Mark's uh, experiences, uh, he's what you would call, I guess, a, a pretty much mainstream uh, contactee. His uh, experiences take place both on a physical and on a, uh, a psychic uh, level. Uh, going back to, to real, when he was really young, I mean, he claims he had experiences of seeing unicorns and angels and all these things. Uh, even while, uh, you know, the, the two or three years old. And then uh, later on, uh, when he was about ten or so, he had repeated uh, contacts with a, uh, a craft that came over the high school football field in the town of Mayapak, New York. And he was taken on board the, uh, the craft, and uh, basically he meets with these beings who look more or less like the, uh, uh, the Adamski, uh, you know, like Orthon, the long flowing hair and... Uh, Human, you know, human-looking. The Nordics, I guess, I guess they uh, refer to uh, nowadays. Uh, but the, the, that's just—I mean—he admits that's kind of just a cloak or a disguise that they use so that we aren't frightened by their uh, real appearance. And uh, the thing that makes kind of a uh, mark, uh, you know, unusual as far as a, a contact, being a contactee goes, he does have some verification of his experiences. I mean, he has had other witnesses with him when, when he has seen these uh, uh, objects. And uh, also, he has the uh, the uh, ability, like a Ted Sirios of uh, many years before, and we might want to go into who Ted Sirios was, uh, to take a camera and point it at the sky, and when the photographs are developed, uh, weird and strange things uh, show up. Uh, wait, wait, wait. That just opens up a can of worms before we look into that can of worms. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession-slash-depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380. 800-715-4380. Or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com. 1-800-715-4380. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world, a woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're dissecting the culture of contact event with Jeremy Vaney and Timothy Green Beckley. Now, Tim, I always wanted to ask you, why did you have a middle name of Green? Was that like a family name, a surname from yeah, somewhere? Yeah, it was uh, my uh, grandmother's uh, maiden name on my father's side or something like that. You know, from the Kentucky, they had uh, Mr. Green and Mr. Brown and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Ted Serios yeah. puts cameras out and there's pictures, and the pictures show what? Well, the pictures show scenes of things that he is uh, visualizing, scenes of worldly places where he has never been. He had this uh, device, I believe they called a tube, uh, Gene, and he would point the ca- uh, the, put the tube up to his forehead, right? It looked like a little bit of extra toilet paper roll or something like that, painted black, put it up to his forehead, uh, aimed the camera inside of it, and when they developed the photo uh, photographs, I believe using in a lot of instances Polaroid, they'd get these weird scenes which they could later uh, match up to uh, kind of remote viewing uh, with um, some sort of physical, uh, you know, uh, uh, evidence uh, behind it. You could travel to other places and see other things and so forth and, and so on. And over the years, we've had uh, some experiencers who seem to have this ability to do things along that uh, that line where they can go out with a, a camera. We, we, could sit, uh, we could sit here and debate the relevancy of, uh, what's the fellow in uh, Golf, uh, Golf Breeze that had those... Ed Walters. Ed Walters, that's right, I'm sorry. Because he seemed to have the ability to. You give him a camera and you send him out in the yard and 15 minutes later he comes in with some... Uh, uh, pictures. Now we can say whether they're real or not real, but anyway, uh, I, I believe Mark. Mark is not. He's not writing a book. He does sell some art. He has a uh, you know a website where he posts his uh, paintings of uh, dragons and fairies and elementals and all these things. And he is quite quite very uh, good at what he uh, what he does. Uh, and, but he doesn't really push the UFO thing. I, I don't even know actually if he's ever. Uh, made a um, appearance in, in public to tell his his story, but uh, I've heard it many times because I'm a friend of his uh, and been over his house and heard this. And so it's a, a repeating a type of thing where he's able to do this. I don't know as if he's done it in recent years because he doesn't live upstate where it's easy to go out in the football field and look up in the sky and maybe you see a UFO because he's here in uh, Manhattan and it's maybe not so easy even to sneak up to the roof these days. Well, didn't John well, he, Lennon see a UFO in Manhattan? I beg your Yeah, John yeah. Lennon. Oh, yeah, you know, I was uh, fairly close with May Pang, uh, his uh, uh, lady friend for a while. In fact, she was there naked with him on the balcony uh, when they had their historic sighting. And I've been on the radio with her over the years a couple of times, and she told about the experience where this object came over. She has his artwork from that, and we were trying to get it uh, from her via third party, but... um and she, she seemed interested, but she's out doing a book tour, so we just couldn't connect with her in time. But it would have been great to have that for our art show. What I was going to say about Mark is that he disappeared from the contactee scene because he was sharing uh, this stuff with the public, and the public was laughing at him, and you know people didn't believe him. So he just sort of said, screw it, and left. And um, now he's toying with the idea of coming back to talk about it. And according to him and his wife Phyllis, uh, you know, they, they asked the... The aliens or whatever, and they gave him a sign that it was okay to talk at this conference. <laughs> I guess because so few people would be there to laugh at him. <laughs> oh, that's a fascinating story. Um, is well, this interesting? But I don't, I don't know. See, here's what's more interesting. Here's a little more inside interestingness, uh, which is that I met him hmm, maybe half a year ago or so. I didn't, I didn't believe his story. I believed that that she was sort of the controlling factor. That that he had basically married 
someone who was a fan of his, and she's very controlling, he's very submissive, and he was just sort of coming up with things, because she said basically their relationship is she would get him on a couch for hours to tell stories. Well, you've got to have stories to tell for hours. He told these stories before he, uh, he met her. Yeah, yeah. So, well, in, in any event, I wrote this UFO magazine article basically saying why I didn't want to sponsor, because he was, he was asking if we wanted to sponsor his comeback in some way. And I basically didn't, and I wrote why. Uh, and apparently they never read it, because they love me. <laughs> they're, they're friends with me. Melissa wanted his art in our art show, and now having gotten to know him and gotten to know her, I actually like them too, and I actually want to reverse what I had written about her. However, you know, he's... <sighs> His stories are so broad. I mean, for instance, you know, he found out I'm a Michael Jackson fan, right? Well, it just so happens that he had an out-of-body experience on a ship with Michael Jackson and Yuri Geller. You know, it's like, how many of these things mm. can you can you have before I got to think that, you know, any dream you have now is an out-of-body experience or something along those lines? You know, and even just in sitting um, on Sunday, you know, we had a little rap party at the art space, and someone was going to write in our, you know, we have a little, hey, put your thoughts here journal. And someone was trying to think what to write, and I said, why don't you just draw a hand turkey? And then he he said something right after that about, why don't you uh, draw a hand and do this and do that? And I said, I just said hand turkey. And he said, oh, my God, I was just thinking hand as you said hand turkey. Like, that's meaningful. And Sounds stuff. like that prediction is a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. So, yeah, so there you go. I mean, but, you know. That's the kind of thing you're dealing with with him, but but I, I like him personally. I think he's a nice guy, which gets us right back to, you know, numero uno problem, which is these guys who maybe are delusional or are fantasy prone or are hoaxing, you know, whatever category it is, but are nice guys. I mean, what do you do with that? Well, maybe you put them in the proper perspective and you enjoy their presence. This particular person, does he have a day job other than painting and meeting Nordics? No, uh, he, 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 did for, he, he did for a while. For a while. How old a person yeah. are we talking about here? Uh, he would be around our uh, age, maybe a few years younger, I think. Okay, so we're talking about a person who is, shall we say, a baby boomer? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, a baby boomer who has no apparent employment but seems to survive nonetheless. I wish I knew how to do that. Oh, well, you and me both. Right. <laughs> that sounds oh. great. Let's talk about some other people, though. I don't want to concentrate on just one contactee. Who else was a notable personage during this event? Dave, did you happen to see Teokas and Ghost Horse speak? I did not, sadly, no. He well, was, we should talk about him, though, because you were very touched by that. I was very touched by that uh, for two reasons. One is he talks about the Star Nations, which is something that, you know, uh, Greer to an extent, and more so uh, Richard Boylan, have just bastardized for their own purposes. But he begins his talk by talking about the difference in language. He's Lakota. And that's his first language. English is his second language. And he says it's really hard for him to speak English because in Lakota, there's no word for I and there's no word for you. They don't have a word for war. They don't have a word for possession. You know, there are just certain things that that they don't have words for. And because of that, because that's how they see the world, when confronted with this other thing, they don't see it as an other thing. They just see everything as one energy, ultimately, you know, from which the world manifests sort of the new age ideal that people claim that they, you know, want. Mm -hmm. But he actually, the Lakota actually do <laughs> have that perspective. It's not it's not fake. He also interestingly started out by saying, look, I'm not a shaman. I'm not a medicine man. I'm not any of those things. I'm just a dude. 
<laughs> and here's the story, you know. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, he's got a radio show in New York, and it's more about indigenous causes and political activism and things like that. So I think for him to come forward and talk about Star Nations and all this stuff and, uh, you know, the white buffalo calf woman prophecy that, that sort of set all of this off at our little event, I think is fascinating because it means that something about it spoke to him. And certainly, you know, he's going to come on my show. He wants, there was a little documentary done about us um, by the Combustive Motor Corporation, um, who's this art conglomerate that wrote a book called UFO. That's fantastic in its own right. But he saw that and he said, hey, when they finish that, you know, give it to me so that I can promote the hell out of it. So I'm fascinated that he's liking what we're doing. And I'm also fascinated with his perspective. It it just seems more realistic to me. And and to hear, you know, a Native American talking about things like uh, how you will stuff to you, you know, the secret. If If you put it out there in the universe, it will come to you. You know, when you hear, you know, the rich white people talk about this. It's all about me. It's like, what can I get? You know, how much stuff can I get if I, if I just wish it? Will the universe bring it to me? And he said, you know, that's ridiculous to him because there is no I and there is no you. So when you ask the universe for something, you know, the secret is crap. <laughs> when you ask the universe for something, it's always for other people. I thought that was interesting, you know. So I thought he was really eloquent. I thought he was, you know, as down to earth as you can get. And it was just I, great I, to have him there and talking about the stuff that you hear these other, you know, crazy people like like Boylan talking about in a completely different way. Sounds like a more positive approach. Before we go to the next question. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We're talking to Tim Beckley and Jeremy Vaney about an event in Jersey City called the Culture of Contact. Lots of fascinating speakers. David, you were about to voice a question? Well, now, Jeremy, when you were talking about him, you mentioned a prophecy. You kind of glossed over it. I was hoping you'd actually expand that a little bit. Well, yeah, the white buffalo calf woman prophecy basically says that once the white buffalo calf, it's, it's extremely rare that a white buffalo would be born. And once it's born, that signals the end of the age. Uh, this is, I believe, a Hopi prophecy. At the end of the age, it's time for no more secrets. So it's time for Native Americans to, to tell us all what they know <laughs> about stuff, about life, the universe, and everything. That calf was born, I believe, in 96. I could be wrong, 95, 96. Hmm. And that was uh, when they threw the first Star Nations gathering. Standing Elk uh, was one of the coordinators to sort of say, look, we're star people. 
this is the deal, this is the truth of our history, this is the end of the age, you know, etc., etc., etc. What I'd like to get him to talk about on my show, I guess, somewhat is the difference between the myth of that and the reality of that. Because he did sort of seem to talk about, when he says, you know, we're star people, he's not talking about spaceships, he's talking about there's a myth that a being came down and that being, you know, became Native Americans. <laughs> you know, like more of a, you know, really a religious sort of myth you know, than anything. Was that a concept here, and Tim's going to drop in a question too, but is that a concept here that their forebears were ancient astronauts? Well, that's just it. It's not really clear. It seems like there's some of that in there, but there's also some of it that is not that, you know, that is literally just a, just a myth that, we've sort of mistranslated into ancient astronauts. It's not really clear to me. It's, he sort of seems to say both, and I'm not sure which it is. Well, you know, the uh, the Native American UFO connection is, is quite uh, prevalent, actually. I, I spent a lot of time, uh, I have a, a place out uh, west that I, I visit on a regular basis, and I had some other people that I associated with uh, when I was doing shows and all there, and they took me to a number of the uh, American uh, Native uh, reservations, and there's quite actually a, a belief among uh, many of the different uh, tribes about this, uh, the idea that uh, they were um, tutored, uh, maybe uh, maybe that's not the right word, but uh, they had contacts uh, in, in, in past uh, times with uh, uh, star people. In fact, I wear a, a little, um, a very nice uh, piece of uh, jewelry, uh, which is a necklace, and it's made up of uh, the... China dolls, seven different uh, dolls, and they have the, they have the Native Americans dressed up in these costumes uh, during different festivals and, and rituals that they do, and these to them will represent the people who came down from the, the heavens, and almost all the tribes have uh, some connection with these uh, deities from the stars, and some of them take it a little bit more serious, uh, I think, than uh, than others do, but. I remember all about uh, 15 or 20 uh, years ago, there were a massive number of uh, sightings uh, on uh, the Second Mesa there in Arizona, and uh, these craft were coming over on a regular uh, basis and being seen by both the uh, Native uh, Americans who live uh, there and uh, in some of the smaller uh, areas. Uh, also, uh, people who were coming to have, uh, have sightings. I mean, it was quite prevalent. And there were Indians who were making prophecies about the beings coming down from the stars and so forth and so on. Of course, just like uh, some of the prophecies that we hear, they didn't seem to uh, prevail. Uh, then up in Washington uh, State, there's a uh, reservation up there where they've even uh, built a, a Skywatch Tower. And these things come over on a regular basis. I don't know if it's continuing to go on, but it's uh, near the town or on the outskirts of the town of Yakima, Washington. And, and so this is, this is quite prevalent among the uh, Native Americans, and they do mean it in a in a literal uh, sense. At least the ones that I've I, I've talked to, they have a strong belief in, in in this. Well, yeah, he definitely said his grandmother has the ability to tell you, you know, at what time and what kind of UFO is going to appear overhead. He said that they more UFOs appear on reservations than anywhere else, and that it's really no big deal to them. And he had seen UFOs uh, when he was younger, you know, with a, a bunch of friends. And even though they don't have the IU, even though they don't have that kind of fear, he said they, they just ran. When they saw this thing coming at them, they just ran because, and he said, we just didn't know. And I'll just leave it at that. We just didn't know. That lives in uh, Sedona, and I had dinner with him last year with uh, some other people. And uh, he's had uh, incidences of where they've, uh, they've talked to the natives and the, also the local residents there about seeing these shapeshifters. And, uh, and a lot of times they come in conjunction with UFO sightings and UFO waves and 
they've gotten a, a ton of uh, photographs of uh, these, these orbs, which of course prove nothing because we would say they're dust or insects or, or something, but they seem to have a uh, disproportionate number of photographs of, of these things uh, that they, they take, and also big uh, balls of light and stuff in the, in, in the evening sky, and uh, light seeming to be coming out of the ground, out of the mountains, and so forth. Yeah, he mentioned orbs. He said that, that you know orbs are nothing new to them. They've been seeing them in the woods forever, and you know he also said they they don't have nouns in their language. That everything is an action, and so the sky is skying, the chair is chairing. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just really interesting because when you think about what language is, you know, it's not just how we communicate with each other. It's actually how we see the world. How different would it be when it, when confronting another intelligence if you know you have this other sense of things? Wow. I'll just let it hang there. No, no, it's cool because I like to see how those beliefs coalesce with beliefs around the world from native people in different countries and their perceptions of their origins and forebears and what might have happened. And, you know, so many cultures talk about godlike beings from the skies or being descended from them, etc., etc. And you wonder about the fact is the farther back you go, the more you get this kind of impression. You know, I, I did a book uh, several years ago, which is just revised and out called Kahuna Power, because I've traveled and spent some uh, time in, in the Hawaiian Islands. In fact, there's a, I can't remember his name now, because it's been several years ago since I met him, but there are, uh, are, actually are even a couple of UFO researchers or people that care, uh, take care of uh, compiling all the paranormal uh, phenomena. And the, um, the sightings of UFOs, they don't call them UFOs, but uh, these mysterious uh, uh, Earth-type lights have been seen for, uh, you know, since recorded time uh, in the Hawaiian uh, Islands, and the natives uh, take it as part of their uh, early religious beliefs, beliefs in ghosts and spirits and ancestral this and that. That they take so it in stride is very interesting. And, and some of these things have, uh, have uh, you know, like, uh, uh, what do you take it, uh, not just uh, something they talk about as a religious experience, but there have been many, rep- I mean, actual reports of this type of phenomenon reported in the newspaper and people that uh, don't have any Hawaiian ancestral, you know, uh, uh, with them, and they still have these experiences along with the, the people who were, whose grandparents were born and raised uh, there. So there's some sort of external phenomena that's uh, taking place, but it's just a matter of how you interpret it, which gets back to the presence of uh, the present-day UFO phenomena because it's all a matter of how you interpret it interpret that UFO. I think one of the things missing in UFO research is the fact that so many researchers have this tunnel vision where they can't look at events thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and those that happened today or 30 years ago, and not look for things that are consistent. I mean, a lot of the early UFO books talked about this. People forget, for example, the first part of George Adamski's book, Flying Saucers Have Landed. Remember, it was really two books in one. The second part was his meeting with these Nordic-type beings from Venus or whatever. The first part of the book, by a British author named Desmond Leslie, talked about so-called ancient astronauts. He was writing about this stuff way, way long before this hotel keeper by the name of Eric Von Daniken jumped on this. Long before British writer Brinsley Laporte Trench got involved. He was writing about it then in what, the early 1950s. But few oh, yeah. people are doing that now. I mean, everybody is wrapped up in Roswell being the beginning and end of the UFO research. Either Roswell is real or not, and everything about UFO reality depends on that, or the case of the month, or O'Hare, or whatever. And how many people are sitting back and trying to relate all of these events and find out if there is a consistent source? 
Well, yeah. people like Jacques Vallée are doing it. I mean, they you know, read his few. books. Sure, he's one of the few. He's one of the few. But does it come down to people have read all that information already? For the most part, has that stuff been around so long that it's just not on? Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of assumed, and then people focus on what's more recent just simply because of the fact that it ultimately for people is more real. I mean, no, I don't. A, I don't think a hundred percent. No, I think they're still thinking about. Disclosure or exopolitics or any of the new age nonsense that they can come up with these days. I don't think that people remember the book of 30 years ago. Yes, you and I might remember it. Certainly everybody on this panel remembers those books. And certainly a lot of our listeners do, a lot of our participants in our message board forums, where a lot of people joined UFO research five years ago, ten years ago, and they don't know the history and they haven't seen the history. All they hear is the new stuff, and the new stuff doesn't relate. So maybe anything resembling, I don't want to call it real research, but sort of a sober look at all of this is always going to be on the, you know, sort of on the fringe. And the mainstream of, for example, the UFO matter is going to always be entertainment oriented. I mean, do we resign ourselves to that? You know, getting back sort of to the overall topic of uh, Jeremy's event because you got feedback loops, right? So Jeremy, you're much less likely to do this next year. So now you're in this negative feedback loop with this. The number I had heard that there was significant numbers at this uh, San Francisco thing where you had George Norrie and, and David Icke and all, you know, all the, the goof heads. And apparently, I mean, they pulled numbers for whatever reason. That's a, It's an established show. It's been there for a long time. It's on the West Coast. I mean, one of the things that does seem pretty clear is that any kind of an event like this, and especially if you mix in New Age topics, which it seems to me a lot of the you know UFO events ultimately do just to make the numbers larger. I mean, look at UFO Magazine. It seems to me like that's exactly what, what's going on with UFO Magazine, where they're trying to expand their reader base by essentially encompassing other areas that are sort of related. I don't know that they're necessarily directly related, especially the New Age stuff, but, you know, or does the New Age mentality open people more up to the possibility of the reality of UFOs? Well, maybe they're just putting on a variety show, you hmm. know, a variety oh, show. Yeah. It's just like, for example, when you'd have the Ed Sullivan show on television years ago, in the days of variety shows, you wouldn't just have a magician. That wasn't enough to garner an audience. You'd have the current rock and roll band of the day. You would have maybe a more traditional kind of singer. You'd have a couple of different kinds of comedians. You'd have to have different types of entertainment. But today, news is entertainment. I think more people hear about the news from The Daily Show or Saturday Night Live than they necessarily learn from CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or the traditional networks. And wherever you are around the world, maybe you have the same situation, that no matter what happens, it becomes an entertainment event. The presidential election in the United States is not just something where two people are vying for what might be the most difficult job in the world. It is the World Wide Wrestling Federation. Today, Obama's up. Tomorrow, McCain is up. And what did Palin say? And what did Biden say to screw up everybody? It's entertainment. You listen to the World Wide Wrestling Federation and the announcers, and they're doing the same thing. We don't see a difference anymore. It's network. Well, no, now, you, you know, know what I mean, David. When I, when I was doing these uh, programs, and people were often uh, critical of the fact that I'd have a, uh, I've had a, I would have on some pretty far out uh, types. I always looked at it as, as a forum where people could come, uh, the general public could come, they could sit there for anywhere from uh, two hours to four days, get their uh, fill of this uh, stuff and go away and decide what they would want to believe. I, I, I've always uh, come to the realization that everybody has 
a different uh, path in this world. And uh, my job was always to have people get on their path. Yes, but Tim, Tim, were they really coming there because they were exploring their particular path to enlightenment or get information? Or just instead of going to the movies that weekend, they went to a UFO, Uh, paranormal, uh, new age event? I would say, I would say... Uh, that it was about uh, 70, uh, 30, that uh, 70% of the people were there for some kind of um, uh, enlightenment and maybe, uh, you know, one thing I noticed, now these the shows don't, do not attract, uh, you know, if it were just somebody who's coming for entertainment, you would get, I would believe, uh, a lot more uh, non-believers. You really uh, seldom uh, come across, a um, uh, you know, somebody who is an outright uh, skeptic, maybe in, a, in an auditorium of two or three people, You'll find, um, you know, a half a dozen people who are just total non-believers at all. Because if they're non-believers, they're not going to come to something like this as a rule. But most people, uh, I found, that had some sort of experience, or they knew that somebody had an experience, or they had some sort of a psychic thing, and and uh, and they wanted maybe an explanation. I think people come for explanations. I, I there was a gentleman, uh, Jeremy, uh, uh, there at your your program. I believe his first name was Joseph. Who was in the military? Now I didn't get his I didn't get his story, but he promised he was going to email it to me that something happened to him while he was in the military. Do you remember that guy? Um, no, I, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, he I just got an email from him a, a little while ago, and he said he had emailed me the story, but I, I never got it. I don't know where he sent it to, but I got his email saying he had sent it. It never arrived. But it, you know, I mean, he didn't have time to sit there and and, and talk about it in, in great uh, detail. But you know, he was coming looking for for answers, but couldn't stay. More than a couple of hours because uh, he had something else to, to do. But uh, that you know that's the uh, inclination that I've always gotten. That people were looking for something, uh, and uh, maybe some of them found uh, something. I, people come to an event and they're looking for something to to grab onto, and uh, I think that's where we always kind of failed at doing this when we had the New York School of Health Arts and Sciences because they'd come in and they would hear a speaker from some other uh, fringe group. And then, uh, you know, if you had an audience of uh, 40 people, 10 of them would go off and, and, and become, uh, you know, uh, uh, involved with that group, but you'd never see them anymore. Of course, five or ten years later, I don't know whether they'd be involved in, whether they'd probably gone on to something new, but people were searching and drifting. There were a lot of drifters, I, uh, and I guess there still are today, people that are looking for something outside of the normal uh, uh, religions. Uh, the, okay, know. so basically what we're saying here is that some people here are looking at, UFOs, paranormal events, whatever, the Space Brothers, exopolitics, this is their new religion. Organized religion has failed them for some reason. Yes, Jeremy. Let Jeremy drop in, then we're going to have to do our hourly break. Jeremy? Yeah, let me just say this. Uh, the one person I had a problem with at that thing was someone from the, the audience who was clearly a... He who shall not be named Myrite, who came up to me to tell me that, to ask who who did the case close? I have on the Culture of Contact website a section called Case Close, where we have absolutely shut cases so that you don't have to argue about them anymore. You can just point your friends to this section, and they're pretty mundane. They're like you know the NASA uh, moon UFO that NASA has figured out what it was. Um, you know the 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 flames uh, from the Mexican um, what what is it called? Uh, footage the the infrared footage. Um, that NARCAP figured out 
so on and so forth. Well, the only one that's really interesting would be the Billy Meyer <laughs> case closed on there. So, so this guy comes at me and, you know, asks who did it. And I said, I did. And he said, well, don't you think that's really close minded of you to have that section? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, it's not well researched. There's no research on there. It's just a, you know, you're just making fun of things. And it's a very, um, military industrial complex uh, approach to things for you to be calling yourself culture of contact. And, you know, oddly enough, I, <laughs> I thought it was weird. I said, well, the research is either there or linked to it on there. These things are shut cases. I said, you know, can I talk to you about this on the air for my show? And he just sort of, like, started, he, he just said no. He started to walk away. And I said, well, listen, I, you know, I'm an experiencer. And um, I said to steal a page out of my friend Dave's book, and I pointed to Dave, who was sitting there talking, to Bassett. Steve Bassett, uh, I said, you know, I'm about separating the signal from the noise. And so shouldn't we all be doing that? And he just walked away from me. And I said, do you want to talk about this or not? And he just walked away from me. I'll tell you what, we have to walk away right now. All right. And we'll be talking with Tim Beckley and Jeremy Vaney on the other side of the Paracast. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. We return hour number two of the Paracast with Tim Beckley and Jeremy Vaney. And Jeremy, before we go to David and a promised story of an encounter with another person who is involved in the disclosure movement, continue with your presentation. Ah, yes. Well, no, we were just we were talking about uh, how this is a religion for some people. And I was talking about this Meyer guy who not just confronted me at the conference, but then later that night decided to email me saying the same stuff. And it's just indicative to me that this is exactly a religion for many people. Uh, you know, if if you have a section called case closed, what, we're not allowed to close UFO cases, or are we just not allowed to close ones on the sacred cows such as Billy Meyer? To say, oh, you're closed-minded because you're rational is completely against the point of even exploring this stuff. And it kind of gets right back to... I think where like new age people bastardize what say indigenous people actually believe or uh how they experience the world. I think what what we tend to do as outsiders is latch onto an idea and sort of boil everything down to that idea. And so if you hear, you know, say Teokis and Ghost Horse say, well, there's no there's no I and there's no you, there's just energy, then somehow Somehow in our minds, we, we sort of mistranslate that into, well, anything is true. You know, we can just believe anything because everything is one thing. And so it's disingenuous to try to have facts, try to have logic. I don't, I don't think that's what, what that's really saying. But I think that people in this field tend to, to go that way with their belief system. Well, several weeks ago, we had a guest like that, and we threw off that guest. But believe me, it took a while for us to endure this before we said, you know what, this is enough. We've had enough of this empty-headedness. Goodbye. But that this is going on all throughout the world right now. This is, a, this is a global trend. I think part of it is we're at a point in history where people are so overwhelmed by situations, information, media stimuli. There's so much stuff that people are being bombarded with Plus the fact that, you know, let's face it, with the, with the technological age we're in, there does seem to be a reversion at the current point in time in history that we're at. You know, people are trying to simplify everything because everything has become so complex. 
And I think that, you know, you, I, I've, I've been looking at some stuff on the web, some video of everyday people, you know, Joe Sixpack. And at this point, we're, we're at a very dangerous point, I think, in history, where there is this, what's the term I need here? It's sort of this tendency towards simplicity that where, you know, it's not a simple world anymore. And, you know, Jeremy, you're talking about how, you know, the ideas of the, the indigenous peoples are being co-opted. It's a lot easier to borrow someone's ideology and slightly modify it than come up with an original new ideology. And that's probably been always been true to, to, to some extent. You know, there is, you know, what's original music? Everybody's always borrowing a riff from someone else. But it's that tend towards oversimplification and this desire to, to try to, you know, get back to God. Uh, see, and that's coming across wrong because, like I, I think I said on the show, I think people assume, for example, when I say that I'm an atheist and I'm, and I'm not an atheist. But, it, you know, it, treating anything like religion, once you, you have religion, now all of a sudden logic is not as important. And I think that that is a dangerous thing ultimately. And it's, a, it's, it's very frustrating if, if not a whole lot more. Well, it's also, I think, what, what you're saying there, too, is that um, you've got the authentic point of view, which is this man's Lakota experience, mm-hmm. and it's very attractive. It's an attractive point of view. It's almost utopian, in a sense, of mm-hmm. oneness in that. And right. so now you've got people who have that ideal. That's what they want. And so they're just going to say, that's what I am, because that's what I want to be. So that's what I am. But it's well, authentic. But- so they actually repress what they are. Which is, you know, I, you, and, and in that repression, they come up with crap like the secret, which is all yeah. about getting what you want through oneness, you know, like, like just complete paradoxical, uh, thinking. Well, it, it, it's filtered or it's parsed through the lens of entitlement. And so, you know, that's kind of that deadly combination of, okay, you know, you can have anything you want, like you said before, for me. And, and once you put it in that context and, you know, you sprinkle it with some capitalism, and a whole lot of water. I mean, you get some weird stuff going on. You know, well, you obviously, get economics. you get poor well, people deserve what they get. You get, right. you know, uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I think is what that evolves into, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. David, right I want to take you back to something that you promised on the previous episode oh, of the show. Let me do this. Right. Okay. You and had a close encounter of Indeed. the first kind or some kind with Stephen Bassett. He has the ex-conference. He's into the disclosure movement very heavily so. And you had a talk with him. And maybe you could recount some of the salient points. Well, Bass was putting together this uh, million facts on Washington. Let's send a million faxes off or, or letters, faxes, emails. The way he was positioning it was right after Election Day. You know, now's the time. Let's everybody hit the government with all of these demands for disclosure. You know, and during his presentation, like right towards the end, he, you know, goes into this angry mode and says, you know, I want this to happen. I want this. I want this information. And and I think, you know, he was referring, of course, to himself. And then, you know, the bigger I, the we, you know, this, we, we need this information. We deserve it because we want it, which... You know, that's we're right back to the issue of this sense of entitlement, which I, I think is a real deep problem. That's a deep problem on a lot of levels for our society. So anyway, Stephen was outside of the main hall talking to some people, including Bill Burns. 
And I walked over and I got into this, uh, you know, we got into this discussion, this conversation. And as the next session started, I ended up sitting outside with Bassett, just the two of us. We had a different kind of conversation, the kind of conversation he's not likely to have on the air with anybody, the kind of conversation I don't think he would have with me if there were a bunch of people standing around talking. It was just the two of us. No one else was really around. And the way I set it up with him, I said, look, you know, let's, let's just have a conversation where you're not defending a position, you're not promoting a position, I'm not defending or promoting anything. Let's just, you know, talk like two people who are interested in this topic and who want to understand it. From there, we move forward into a discussion where, you know, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, and, and it's not really all meant for consumption on the air in this, in this fashion, but, you know, basically, uh, I saw a different Stephen Bassett. I saw a Stephen Bassett that actually made me feel a little bad for him, you know, because of the fact that he really is facing in just a completely difficult, perhaps impossible task. I think that at a pretty deep level, he gets that. He knows the fact that, you know, the chances are this is not going to ever happen. He's not going to get what he wants. And, you know, what I said to him was, well, when it comes down to it, what if disclosure is not what you think it is? And you know, I've said that on the show quite a bit. What if disclosure is something that truly, absolutely, positively, we as a society could not handle? Because, I, you know, people say, well, that's not what's going on, that we know a certain amount of, of the truth of this, and that, you know, disclosure is now only a formality. And I don't, I don't think it's that simple. I really don't feel that that represents the truth of this for a lot of different reasons. And as we speak to more people on the Paracast, I'm becoming more convinced that, that that is indeed the case, that perhaps there is a very high degree of secrecy for a reason that might actually be solid, that we just don't know. Now, you know as, as Joe Sixpack, as the common public, we, just, we don't have access to a certain level of information that if we had access to it, we would perhaps just be a little too stunned and a little too shocked and I think that if we're going to seriously talk about the idea of the release of this information, that we should model it in every potential outcome. I mean, if you're going to get if you're going to get serious about this, and and this is what I presented to Bassett, that maybe he wasn't going to get his answers, and maybe that wasn't a terrible thing. And you know, to sum it all up, he, he basically acquiesced to that. He said, "Well, you know, maybe maybe you are right." And the way he said it, I, I think he he was sort of trying to not give away what ultimately he gave away to me. And that I think that he knows this. And he's just trying to have a brave face about it. And plus, it's it's something he finds really interesting. And it puts him in a position where people will listen to him. And I think that everybody, to some degree, likes people to listen to them. Who doesn't, right? That's just the basic human condition. I think he's a basic human who is going to end up being... Uh, frustrated uh, at the outcome of what he's trying to do, and I think at a, at a very at a, in a very big way he gets that he knows that. Well, you know this isn't this isn't something that hasn't been uh, tried uh, before. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a whole idea of disclosure going back to the days of uh, Nightcap and, and Major Kehoe, and it's never gotten uh, anywhere because who do you exactly get disclosure from? You can't go to the press. I mean, his attempt is to. 
uh, have a million faxes uh, sent to whoever is uh, elected uh, president. Right. Well, right. that person probably isn't going to know anything about the UFOs uh, anyway, and is going to think, uh, unless somebody tells him otherwise or is briefed on this, which they probably aren't going to be, will probably think that uh, the, these are a bunch of kooks trying to get his attention. Yes, but consider it this way also. Major Kehoe, in his days when he was pushing for this, he said that the government had a silence group, an internal group. It could have been what later became MJ-12, whatever. There was a group yeah. in the government that had the secret of UFOs, at least to the extent that they knew they were extraterrestrial and it was time to disclose that to the public. So he had the source, he had the nature of the information down, at least in his belief system. So that's where he thought it would come from, that if you had congressional hearings or contacted the right people in government, gave them the right argument, they'd say, you know what, it's better if we just spill the beans. No, but there, there are so few people that are interested in this, especially at this point in time, you know, in Capitol Hill, that uh, this isn't a secret group. I mean, you can't petition them because they're hidden behind the, the, uh, the curtain uh, somewhere. Maybe they don't even exist anymore. Maybe it was a secret among these groups, uh, this particular group, science group, whatever you want to call them, and they're since deceased and they didn't share the information with anybody. So then maybe if something did happen in Roswell, let's say, for example, maybe well, we'd never find out because nobody knows. Nobody in a position of authority knows. They're guessing at it just like we would. Yes, but if Roswell involved a real UFO crash, they would have had to have actually supposedly captured remnants of the beings and the craft and they have to be somewhere okay neighbors did you know that food will make your future fearless you know we're going to have runaway inflation with all of these bailouts and if you don't understand why you'd better check it out or your life may depend on it before runaway inflation occurs smart people are converting their paper money into gold and now gold into food. We've seen runaway inflation in other countries. The only way to survive is to buy things and stuff that we'll need later while the money and gold still have value. When a truckload of cash or several pounds of gold won't buy a loaf of bread, the only answer is to already have your own bread. Folks don't realize that with the worldwide famine and food shortages, food is about to become so precious that it will actually establish the value of gold until there is no food left at any price. Food will make your future fearless. Call 800-715-4380 or go on the web to efoodsdirect.com. Call 800-715-4380 or efoodsdirect.com. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We have Jeremy Vaney and Tim Beckley joining us this week. And Tim, that goes to be the question here. Is it going to be something like the original Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they stick the craft down into some kind of warehouse and it catches dust for the next 50 years? Or maybe it doesn't exist anymore. What do you mean it doesn't exist anymore? 
doesn't exist. If this was something 50 years ago, how do we know that it even exists anymore? I mean, look at, look at how the material was supposed to have been. I mean, it was like plywood. It was like uh, tin foil. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. Somebody could have thrown it out with the trash. Nobody would have known the difference. Like plywood? Yeah, so look, I mean, they had, they had a, a, a beam on the ship that had the symbols on it. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, well, I'm, the whole thing doesn't make sense. But you know, who are you? Who are you petitioning for this information? I mean, whoever gets elected is not going to have the information, even if they would like to share it with them. They're not. They're not privy to it. So sending a million faxes isn't going to really do any. It, it's not. It's not aimed in the right direction. The right. The thing to do is actually determine that these things are real. I, I mean, to, however you could do that, I, I don't know. But it certainly isn't sending a million faxes to somewhere. It's really simple. There are much bigger priorities at this point. That's exactly um, right. For anybody coming in, this is going to be a non-issue. And, non-issue, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's that simple. We know that. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty obvious at this point. And as far as disclosure goes, um, I just don't think it's possible because uh, I agree that the people who are at that top layer of government don't have access to the basically the underbelly. This stuff is sitting in an underbelly and... If you're all the way at the top, you know, it's just at that point, it's literally too far away from you. You can't get directly to it. The stuff has been pretty successfully covered up for a long time. I mean, I think what we have to do is get a few things out of the way if we're going to talk about this. You know, does the government possess stuff that it's hiding from us? Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe assumption at this point. I really do. And I don't think it's something they threw out with the garbage. I think there's some some significant stuff that they're sitting on. And I think when it comes right down to it, if one day we find out what this is really about, I strongly suspect that a very large part of the answer is going to be that the government did not understand what it had. It couldn't figure it out. Yep. I think that is the most likely result of all of this. They're going to, and, and, you know, the, they can't admit that. That is like something that is, is so, I think, again, it's, it's obvious to me. That this is a situation where it, it's it's about saving face, it's about security. I and mean, I've said this on the show before. If ultimately the government's supposed or you know stated mission is to keep us secure in some way, then the opposite of security at that point is insecurity. I don't think that we can handle even the simple idea of okay, we've got these craft, we've got these things. And we don't understand what the hell it is. We, it's sitting in front of us, and we don't know what it is. And we can't admit that, because if we admit that, then we're telling you we don't know what it is. Just like the whole issue with the Air Force secrecy. You know, can the Air Force come out and admit, yeah, there, there are these craft totally outmaneuver our stuff. We could never really stop these things, and they have free use of our skies, and we are defenseless in this light. I mean, you know, are people going to just go, oh yeah, time to go back to, you know, American Idol? I don't know. I think at that point, people will get really insecure, and that's not what you want to do to a population if your goal is to try to maintain some level of security. Yes, and also to uh, the people who who are responsible for this security, it would be a big bit of insecurity for them. Yeah. And uh, they want to save their own behinds. That's that's for sure. But so, what I mean, do you make uh, of the fact that we're still going into space and China is going into space and all that? We're not scared away from space. Why, why would that be? Space offers the opportunities of the future because I think that there continues to be a feeling that um, ultimately we have to expand outwards and that, like everything else that the human hand touches, space is one big 
place to commercialize. And there's lots of resources out in space. You know, as we run out of resources on Earth, where do we turn to? Space. Where else are we going to turn to? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's just natural at this point. I mean, you know, plus the fact that there is that human need to have adventure. And, you know, in talking to Mac Tonys, I mean, he talks about, you know, wanting to have manned missions to Mars. I mean, ultimately, does it make more sense to have robotic craft going out for, like, things like uh, deep space missions or even interplanetary missions? Well, from a technological point of view, I think, yeah, it makes a lot more sense to send unmanned stuff out. But ultimately, people want to go and touch things. They want to go and they want to step foot on another planet. And they want to be able to use their own senses to to interpret what's there. There's also the issue, David, of being able to think outside the box and being able to change in case the pre-programmed investigations bring information that the computer is not capable of handling. Absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing like human adaptability on site. Right. For example, right now, the Phoenix Lander, it can get the raw elements of soil samples and stuff that might indicate the presence of life, but it can't actually detect the life. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we could say, well, they had to make a decision. They had cost-benefit ratios and stuff like that. In the end, it was foolish because I think having spent so much money to get the craft to land there, how much more would it have cost to enhance the testing? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. See, we don't know. That solves everything there. But anyway, just to sum up Stephen Bassett, to return to him in a second, and that is, you feel he's basically fundamentally sincere about what he's trying to do. This is not just something to make him rich and famous for 30 minutes. He's certainly not going to get rich. I don't know that he thinks he's even going to get famous. But again, it all depends on your point of view. As I said, you know, he, can, he can stand up, like when he does the X conferences, he has a, a fairly decent-sized audience cheering him on. Who doesn't like that? I think that's, you know, I think that's a lot of what motivates him, ultimately. Um, what was his beef with Bill Burns? Do you remember? Uh, well, uh, no. The Do tell. They were getting into, well, I mean, okay. you know, basically Bill has his own take on everything. And uh, to his credit, Bill is actually... Uh, quite a vessel of historical information you know he can spout stuff without even trying pretty wild i mean uh, i have to respect somebody who can actually do that and who wants to fill their head with this information of all the things that you could potentially fill your head with it's uh so they were having a what was it i think it had to do with the quality of the bagels in new york city (laughs) no something about civil rights oh yeah there you go Oh, you're right. I think that is what it was about. Maybe it might not have been a, a UFO thing. Yeah, you know, there was I, honestly, something. I just remember watching two balding older men, uh, white men, debating civil rights with uh, a black guy standing there, just sort of nodding his head. And I thought, yeah. wow, this is really something at a UFO. <laughs> Break out the cameras. Now, maybe he Jeremy. was he was holding his head in shame. Jerry, 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 I need to ask Jerry a question. Be quiet, Jew. Um, okay, Jew. Let me have that's, some bagels here. I want to have bagels with my popcorn. Excuse me. Go ahead. You certainly don't have bagels in Arizona. We've had that discussion before, and we'll probably end up having it again. No, Jeremy, I, I have to ask you, who was that guy, that taller guy wearing, like, the alien T-shirt talking about the device thing he had upstairs, uh, the quantum field guy? You was know he on stage? No, he was not. He was the taller fellow, slightly stooped, 
He had the sound uh, machine upstairs on the balcony? I guess that's what it was. Ray Strano? Yeah. I don't know much about it. I mean, I've, I've spoken to him a little bit um, on the train. You know, he's, he seems to be really smart. He's got a number of degrees in, you know, various fields, physics being one of them, I believe. And he invents. He invents. Um, the thing that he had there was a, well, I don't really know. You put on headphones. I didn't do it. My mother did. Um, I think you hear, like, ocean waves or something. And, and you have electrodes hooked up to your, uh, where your pineal gland would be, I guess. And, and if you can get relaxed enough, you have some sort of out-of-body slash, you know, quote-unquote alien abduction experience that is positive, that, you know, that isn't bad. Um, so that's what he brought there. I also know that he brought, you know, we also had Masahiro Kahata, who is a guy who has the tricked-out EEG, you know, where he has little video games where you can either control music or control a virtual flight game with thought. And this other guy uh, actually created an entire brain scan machine so that you can see what your entire brain is doing and not just, you know, the simple fields that Masahiro's thing can do. So he's an inventor. He's a smart cookie. He's a meditator. Um, you know, we, we talked about some of that stuff. Um, I don't know much more about him than that. I, I don't believe he's an experiencer, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He's just an interested party. Now, this is, this is something here. I just got an, uh, an email uh uh, fellas, uh, from somebody who was at the uh, Culture of Contact show. He says, it was great meeting with you at the Culture of Contact show, and I appreciate you placing me on your mailing list, and I sent you an account of what happened to me, and I still have no answer after all these years that I want to become active in helping to solve the greatest mystery in history and want to participate, and I would like your feedback on the email I sent you. Well, I never got the uh, email. This is like third email, but uh, here's obviously someone who was uh, touched by the uh, by the event. and maybe Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten email from uh, from people saying, you know, one woman saying um, it was great to see such intelligent people talking intelligently about this subject. When's the next one? You know, so <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it's good feedback. It's just there's about 23 people giving it to me. That's the problem. <laughs> well, it's a matter of getting more than 23 people to show up. Strictly speaking. Well, yeah, and then here. Do we you are. think, by the way, I'm going to be serious about this though? Do you think if you were able to hold this? At some kind of Manhattan venue, you might have solved that problem. Certainly, you um, couldn't pay for a hall that large, but well, yeah. I mean, we did it last problem. year, Lollapalooza style. We had a small ninety-nine seat movie theater, uh, school, and um, a lounge to play with. Um, and you know, I don't. You know, we didn't really pack the, the lounge. We did with the music. The music was incredibly popular. That place was packed, but the school. You know, we got maybe two hundred fifty people in there throughout a few days. And the theater was never sold out, and that's 99 seats. So I don't know. I don't know what the, the secret is. How many people did you have at the event in Jersey City? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Just a couple hundred over three days. Okay. So it was similar, actually. Um, yeah. No, I think we, we had more people in New York, definitely. Okay. But comparing the cost of putting on the session, it was more expensive in New Jersey? Okay. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't lose the shirts off our backs in uh, New York. Mm, okay, well, we'll go into the shirt business in a moment. Maybe we'll have these shirtless T-shirts that we could sell from Cafe Press on the PowerCast forums and everything. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can host I can and as a matter of fact they provide all our hosting too for this site and guess what their price starts at only 
$7 a month. How could you go wrong? It's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. Opening the door to the unknown. Download episodes of Erie Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.erieradio.com. This is Leslie Kane and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Tim Beckley. And Jeremy Vaney, and before we go on, of course, everybody's heard of Tim Beckley, but you have various publications and things, and of course, you do have those radio spots that we play every week for you because we love you, Tim. And uh, well, you know, Gene, you and I have been so uh, immersed in, in this subject, I don't know, just going uh, way uh, back. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I think we might have met for the first time. We used to be on a radio station, WFMU, with Bob Zanotti. Bob Zanotti. WFMU, Uppsala right. College in New Jersey. Right. And I was in touch with Bob, I think, after that, and I forget well, what I, he I did. I've from him within the last uh, couple of years, actually. He's over in Scandinavia. Right. And what is yeah. he doing? Is he still in broadcasting, or what? Uh, I don't believe so. I know but he had a good speaking that? voice. Let me just ask yeah. our guests yeah. here to tell our listeners about what they're doing and where they can get in touch with them. Because, Tim, you mentioned you got emails, so we know you have an email address. You have different publications. Tell our Any. listeners what you have available that they could order, request, whatever. Actually, the, the best way to do it is to send me a, um, an email at Mr. UFO, MRUFO8, the number 8, at hotmail.com, and we'll put you on our mailing list to receive are two physical publications, The Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre. Now, uh, tucked in between all the ads for DVDs and, and new books are a number of interviews, every issue, and articles about the authors that we uh, publish and so forth. And uh, we have authors like Brad Steiger. We've published some of John Keel's works, uh, T. Lomsink, uh, Rampa. Uh, we're all over the place. I mean, uh, professionally, I'm a, a publisher, and I kind of try to keep that separate from my views on UFOs. I don't necessarily agree with everything that I, I publish, but then a publisher doesn't normally have to do that. You know, I mean, uh, so we do uh, cover a, a big area. Or you can go right to our website, which would be uh, uh, conspiracyjournal.com. You can sign up uh, right there and read our uh, latest online newsletter, which comes out every uh, Friday. Tim Schwartz puts that together. He's going to guest on the show. Yeah, he's a very fascinating guest. Now, Conspiracy Journal is what the name implies, right? Oh, it is. But it's geared towards, it's not 9-11 so much as it is UFOs and um, uh, Bigfoot and, uh, and and things along that uh, that the line. But uh, the whole world is a big conspiracy to me as far as I'm concerned. But as far as our publishing uh, uh, ventures, we've uh, recently uh, reprinted uh, the um, book by Frank Scully, uh, Behind the Flying Saucers, and they added 50 new uh, pages uh, to it with a lot of dramatic uh, artwork and, and pictures. Uh, there are some... Uh, Witnesses that have come uh, forth from the old days of the uh, the supposed uh, crash at Aztec. And let me let me just uh, backtrack here, okay? This is fascinating, and I want to just mention it for a couple of minutes here. Okay, behind the flying saucers, written by a guy named Frank Scully, who was a columnist, a gossip columnist for Variety, 
And he yeah. talks about rumors and speculation about a UFO crash, not in Roswell, but in Aztec. We didn't study Roswell till later. But as you said, 50 pages are added by Nick Redfern, right? Sean Castile compiled it, but it's based on interviews with uh, Nick Redfern. Right. Uh, uh, with uh, Art uh, Campbell, who I believe has been on your show. Scott Ramsey, who is probably the, mo- uh, the uh, most thorough researcher on the, on the subject. He's actually gone out and uh, traveled around and interviewed people who were there at the time, the few remaining uh, uh, people that might still be alive from that era. And, of course, uh, as always, uh, Stanton Friedman, who has some interesting things to, to say about it. So here, here's a case that was uh, poo-pooed for many years, swept under the rug. The main uh, uh, people involved were, uh, uh, let's see, I guess, actually... Uh, Prosecuted by the the FBI and the authorities for being uh, oil con men, which doesn't seem too much different than today, guys, right? <laughs> well, today everybody's an oil con man, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, these guys would be small potatoes compared to what's going on today. Uh, anyway, so we what we do is we take a lot of these old cases or a lot of these old stories or incidents. They don't necessarily have to be UFO related, and we bring them up to date for a generation of uh, students who are not familiar with the subject. And it's a fascinating case that involved the crash of a UFO outside the town, a supposed crash of a UFO outside the town of Aztec, Aztec, uh, New Mexico. And it also involves, I guess, the um, the bodies of 16 little ETs. I don't think they were as little as uh, the ones at Roswell, but maybe they were related to that. Right, kissing cousins. But anyway, it's a fascinating story and um, one that uh, has kind of intrigued me. I've always kind of kept it on the back burner and then... When I heard, maybe it was on the on the, on the Paracast, uh, actually, uh, uh, Scott uh, Ramsey talking about this. I got a little bit more interest in it, and I, I said mm-hmm. to Sean, who was my main uh, researcher and, and, and writer and all, I said, let's look a little bit further into this. And, and that's what we do. We I, I have this ability to go out because, and get all these different people who have expertise in different areas and, and put together their knowledge, which I think is very which I think is very important. You know, you don't necessarily always have to agree with somebody, but you want to get their input uh, into it. Before we hit you further on that subject, Jeremy, what do you have out there in the world as regards to UFOs and related subjects? Well, wait, Tim, where can we get uh, lesbian vampire women from the moon? Where, <laughs> where do we get a hold of that? Sandy Hook Lingerie Party Massacre. Another one would be barely legal lesbian vampires, and my favorite would be a skin-eating jungle vampires. Uh, you could just go to uh, you know mrcreepo.com or to amazon.com and type in Mr. Creepo and and my. I hear a violin. That's your violin. <laughs> I hear something. I haven't figured out what this is, but uh, okay. So, MrCreepo.com. Please, let's just move on. Jeremy, we gave you a chance to plug yourself. Instead, all you want to know is about barely legal whatever. I love it. That is correct. So, Uh, well, CultureContact.com. I mean, I don't care. You know, whatever. Go buy stuff. Don't. It doesn't matter. I mean, you listen to my podcast. Uh, You can contact me through there, CultureContact.com. I have a book. I have a DVD. Um, what's really uh, going to be interesting now is I have, um, and I, I showed it at this thing, the Silent but Deadly Truth Volution of Truth, which is the ripoff of, of course, the he, sh- he Who Shall Not Be Named Silent Revolution of Truth. Very few people stuck around for that because we were running extremely late, and, and of course, you know, we had few people there to begin with. But of those people who saw the movie, the Dolans came out as if they had actually had a UFO encounter. I mean, they were white-faced. I think Rich's palms were sweating. Karen, who did uh, the voiceover for it, wanted to immediately be, be pulled from the film. 
because uh, she doesn't want to be as quite as nasty to uh, her friends as I do, which I understand. I'm not I'm not bagging on her at all. Uh, I'm just telling you what it is. But uh, Rich, at least, and I think she found it extremely funny. And, uh, you know, Bill and Nancy Burns, certainly. But it's it's incredibly shocking. And what I want to do is is put it out on the net for free. But before that, I have an opportunity to put it into a fairly decent size, although I can't remember the name of it, um, film festival in California through a friend. So I'm going to try to do that because I think that would be hysterical. Um, and then I'll just uh, put it out on YouTube or something for the heck of it. So look for that in the near future. I can't wait. <laughs> I hear it's a fine film. Now, speaking of fine films, let's talk about the fine keynote presentation that delivered by one David Bietney at the Culture of Contact. It's no episode. keynote. I was not a keynote speaker. What are you talking about? No, we're using keynote in terms of the program. Oh. Now, we have to explain to people what is keynote because everybody hears PowerPoint presentation, PowerPoint presentation, and David, knowing a better solution always, uses keynote from Apple Computer. Explain That's what right. it means. It's a multimedia presentation product that integrates graphics, text, visuals, sound, and all sorts of multimedia information into one coherent communication format. Speaking coherently, can you give us a brief idea of what you oh. delivered in terms of your presentation? Well, basically what I did was um, you know, talk about my background. I had a more of a detailed breakdown on my uh, Caracas uh, UFO experience, the one that happened in New Jersey that I talked about on the Paracast. Both of those, of course, I talked about on the Paracast. Showed some examples of what I consider to be compelling UFO photos. Talked about the work that Jeff Ritzman and I had done on the O'Hare case, on the photographic analysis from that case. And then I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a little section talking about trusting your eyes and your brain. And, of course, what better images to use for that than a few of the silly, laughable Billy Meyer photographs. And, and during one of those uh, screens, where and basically what I had is I had a picture of one of the wedding cake shots, the uh, nighttime, nighttime, dark room wedding cake shots. And I love how I keep calling it wedding cake. You know, the little, the little model thing with the silver balls on it. Anyway, silly stuff. I wouldn't want to eat that cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that cake would, be, uh, would, would not go down too well. So I basically, what I did was I, I threw one of those images up and I said, look, you know, anybody who wants to get behind this case and say that it, it's a legitimate one is someone that you should have issues with that in terms of believing what comes out of their mouths, you know, question of integrity. So I threw, I didn't, you know, I, what I had is I had this one image in the center of the screen and then around it I gradually faded on pictures of people who think it's a legitimate case. I won't name them now. We don't need to give them any more publicity. But one of them was Rob Simone. And I actually added him at the last minute when I saw that he had uh, come in to attend the thing. I thought, oh, okay, this is great. I'm going to, like, you know, get on the Internet quick. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you weren't in the room for that. You didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, his picture comes up, and I heard a few laughs in the audience, and I heard a gasp. I actually thought the gasp was him. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then, of course, that would send him running like you know a little girl, like he did uh, when we confronted him at the that little X conference event. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I threw him in at the very last moment. Up at the front of the theater, you could actually get free Wi-Fi access to that uh, CH Martin or whatever that store was next door. I figured out that you could actually get some 
free Wi-Fi access to them if you're in just in the right place up in the front of the theater. For those who don't understand what that means, he means free wireless Internet access. They all know. They're listening to us on the web. Wake up. Oh, wow. Um, they get it. They know. Okay. You know, so anyway, yeah, I, I put his, his face up there, and there were a few other faces, uh, people we've mentioned on the show. Jerry! Jerry, I need to talk with you about this strange Colombian coffee that Art gave me. Hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I had a, that, uh, he came up on that screen and uh, it was pretty good. Of course, I told him that, uh, you know, the truth was a hard thing to do. It was a dirty job, but someone had to do it. And uh, he kind of smiled and nodded. So, you know, Rich is a very politically correct guy, I think. He, you know, he... he speaks to a lot of people in the field and he wants to maintain some peace and uh you know i'm certainly less interested in that whole approach in terms of just you know like jeremy said you know my old line let's cut away the noise and get the signal and if cutting away the noise means you know sort of not shutting people out but ignoring them i think that's really what it's about certain people just should be ignored because ultimately they're entertainers that want to tell stories but don't really necessarily i think it's my opinion get us any closer to understanding any of this or furthering the conversation. I actually thought what you did was really important. And, you know, funny enough, Ray, who we were talking about earlier, uh, was one of the people who came up to me and really loved your presentation. Really? I, I thought it was important because what essentially what Dave did was he set it up pretty much kind of like what he does on the show, but more cohesive because it's in one presentation, which is to say, look, this is who I am, right? I'm a Photoshop guy. I'm a special effects guy. These are my qualifications to look at photo and video. This is who, <laughs> you know, the people who are in ufology in general are, outside of, like, you know, Bruce McAbee and Ritzman. Now, my opinion is an educated opinion, and it is, has far more weight than theirs. So all things are not equal. So you've got to stop paying attention to them when they start promoting junk, because it's junk. Who out there is saying that? Nobody's really out there saying that. But I think it's an important thing to hear. And, you know, I told you, Dave, and I, and I still have no idea why, but for some reason, sitting there, his entire presentation, I was literally choked up. Like, my, my throat was closed, and I started to tear up. It was really weird, and I have no idea why. Like I told you, it wasn't like, oh, it was beautiful or anything like that. I mean, it was very in-your-face and very yelling. It was an uh, allergic reaction. You were having an allergic reaction. <laughs> yeah, I had a exactly. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. But, okay, you're allergic to David Biedney. Tell us more. Well, all, yeah. Also, you know, you set yourself up with the the experiencer stuff on your your computer presentation, which I thought was amazing. You know, he had this you know sort of animated. Well, he had like Google Maps or whatever it was. Um, yeah, just overlay and stuff, like a little basically. animated UFO following the car. You know, telling his story, and it, I just thought it was really powerful because it's like, look, this is who I am. This is my professional life. This is the ass that I put on the line by telling you the following story, and these are the people who are muddying the field by telling you that all of this other crap is true, and it just plain isn't, and you guys have to wake up. And I thought that was uh, a much-needed, especially at, you know, something that was pretty lovey, feel-goody for, for a lot of it, you know? I think it's good to have the, the punk rock wake-up come in. The wake-up call. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. 
Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to The Paracast with my two friends, Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. The wake-up call is that Jeremy Vaney and Tim Beckley join us this week as we talk about the culture of contact event, but also the culture of ufology which is, in of itself, as important, if not more so. Well, it's people's stories. And, and thank you, Jeremy. I'm, 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 I'm thrilled that you feel that way about what I did. I mean, I've gone to a, a handful of these conferences. I've sat through a lot of presentations at, at this point. And I guess the whole idea that I'm doing the Paracast is one big cathartic scream, you know, in, in a sense. And I, I think that at times when I come across harsh on the show, uh, with certain guests, uh, it's 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 born of frustration. It's honest frustration with this. For a little over two and a half years, I've been doing this with Gene, and it's like anything else. I, I want people to be thoughtful. I want people to be intelligent. Uh, that's I think the optimist to me. I, and 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 then you run into people like Brent Hoff, who you know, just a really sweet guy, a nice guy, a new friend. I mean, I really you know, I, I've so valued meeting him, and to have someone like that say to me. You know, I listen to your show. You're doing good stuff. You know, you're doing some important stuff. Ultimately, if anything, that's again, I, I see, I'm really torn about this because, like, when you know, Rich Dolan confronted me and said, "No, you didn't have to do some of that that confrontational stuff. It wasn't necessary." I guess part of me always wanted to believe that, yeah, you could just deal with people in this very tactful, very um, sort of gentle way. And maybe have it be more productive. And there's part of me that, that believes that, but there is another part of me that is very much a punk and very much wants to get in people's faces and say, look, you know, look up, look, wake up, look at what's really going on here. Because ultimately I feel that the topic is important. I feel there is something here of real serious value and of interest. And, um, I guess I do take it a little personally when I see it treated as entertainment and, you know, maybe that's a little hypocritical because there are times when I'm immersed in it that I also proactively treat it as entertainment when I'm in the middle of it, like what was going on with me at the Culture of Contact where I was being extra goofy. And uh, and I apologize, Jeremy. I apologize for the body upstairs 
and uh, you know, I, right. and the Bobby, the body, the Bobby. She'll never know. Oh, yeah, you'll never know what I think, Jerry. <laughs> and you know, as far as people wanting to go to an event to to listen to George Nori, you know, if that's what you want, if you want to hear a guy spout crap, then have at it. I mean, you know, if that ultimately if people are going to treat this as entertainment, what are you going to do? There's no way to, to change that ultimately. But hopefully we can potentially talk about things that are more relevant, that that offer more insight, and that may be as entertaining as the Norries or the David Ikes of the world. You know, Jeremy, it just occurred to me that it would have been really good if you had had somebody, let, let's say Beckley, dress up in a lizard suit. And come in and just start grabbing people. Actually, though, I had a better idea. There was a, uh, a fair in Jersey City uh, the week uh, before an art show fair, you know, on the street and all. I wanted to have a couple of cuties uh, dressed up as uh, the you know aliens and miniskirts handing out flyers, but it didn't work because Jeremy was going out of town and we didn't have time enough to plan it. Oh, too bad. That would have been good. That would have been good. good. I, I think a performance art piece was missing, Jeremy, and I think that if you do this next time, I will uh, sort of drag my uh, prankster past right out to the task of uh, doing a performance piece with you that will, let's just say, uh, have them talking about the event for a while afterwards. We didn't no. do that this time. And no, no, no. I, I really think we, we probably should have done something. I was thinking about it right up until last minute. Thinking, you know, maybe I was looking around seeing if I had any props that would be of any use. And I don't know, bringing swords might be a problem. Um, <laughs> You know what's kind of cool about the, about this it was uh, a, a couple of people came up to me and said, oh, "I didn't know uh, Stephen Greer was going to be here," and then wanted me to do the Stephen Greer impression. So at least someone's listening to the show and, and appreciates that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the people are listening to, to our shows. I mean, ultimately, and that's what, of course, makes us all worthwhile. There are quality people out there, thinking people, intelligent people, who connect with what we're doing and who do listen. And I just have to mention this. Um, recently, I'd gotten a piece of email from someone who um, had listened to the episode I did uh, talking about what happened with my mother when she died. And this person told me that they had just gone through death of their parent and that listening to, to the episode, in fact, listening to the, the first time I did it on the Dead Science podcast and then listening to the episode on the Paracast really helped them get through the death of their father that it was, it was hugely helpful to them. And, you know, when you hear something like that, you think, okay, and any of the madness, if it helps someone like that, that was a mitzvah, and that was a reason to do it. That's That was a reason to do all of this. If you can, like, affect one person like that. And I know it sounds like a Hallmark card, but I really genuinely feel that way. That if I can, you know, and that's why I love to teach. You know, you, you see one person in a classroom and they get what you're doing they really get it and you know that now you have affected them for the rest of their lives that they're going to be able to be a better thinker because and a better human a better person because you had some involvement whatever the intersection was with their lives you touched them in that way that contributed something positive to the world I don't want to be high in the sky David but when you say that I wonder how many teachers are as devoted to their craft well, this is the difference between walking, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk. The, the whole New Age movement with everything is love, 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 and it's like, you know, there is such a thing as tough love. There is. And, and ultimately, no pain, no gain. 
I mean, you have to have some tough love in order to, again, move anything forward. We need to, as a, I think, as a species, we need to evolve. We're not done evolving. We are so not done evolving. I mean, it's not even funny to get into this discussion because then, of course, you know, there's a part of the audience that's thinking, wait, oh, it's going down the science route. Don't do that. But we're not done evolving. We're still cooking. We got to move forward because we cannot stay where we are because that way lies destruction. Just, it's not going to work out that way. So, you know, that's what the Paracast is doing, helping you evolve in productive ways. Or if not, just be able to laugh at Jeremy. I mean, Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, uh, Art wants to tell you something. Art? <laughs> oh, hell, he passed out again. Art? I, I told him he shouldn't have left that Stevia alone. Oh, Nori actually does run for president in 2012. Jeff Ritzman and I have decided to also run for president and vice president in 2012. Well, gee, thanks a lot. Really. <laughs> You've got Gene. Gene. Well, no. Well, I don't know. Maybe I want to be part of your 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 administration. Can I be the secretary of like uh, uh, ridiculousness? Can I About the secretary of yeah. shtick. Yeah, hey. absolutely. Because what our whole talking? platform is just to have fun. The secretary of shtick. David Bietney. I don't know about the shtick part. How okay. about Secretary of Fun? Now, that's that's there a position go. I can get behind. Yeah. Okay. We need that. We need a Secretary of Fun because right now, everybody is so politically correct. I don't I don't think we are. So we're not everybody. That's right. We're us. That's right. We're us or us. We're us or we. Jeremy was saying, yeah. No, we no, are no, we're we or we are us or we are us we. I am me and you. No, forget that. Forget oh, that please song. don't try to do that. Let's kind of come to a summary since we only have a short time to spend trying to put all this together. So let me ask you, Jeremy Vaney. Now, today, as you count your losses, you're going to say, I'm never doing this again. But six months from now, do we think that maybe you'll change your mind and try to do it and maybe make it better next time? Well, I'm already not saying I'll never do this again. You know, in talking to Burns about it, I thought he would be all over my butt about, you know, projecting big and, and losing big. But no, he actually liked the venue because his parents uh, used to do vaudeville there back in the day. And so it was a thrill for him to just be on that stage. But he also thought pretty much the way I think about how this thing went down. And so in his email to me, uh, it seemed pretty clear that he wanted to try this again. Uh, Bill Burns is the co-funder of this, just so that you know why I'm telling you this. Uh, we go 50-50 with the money. His UFO hunter's money against my receptionist salary. Let that sink in. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I think we'll probably do something again next year. I don't know if it will be uh, a, a conference like this or something more pared down and, um, you know, hidden agenda as, as some more of an art piece or something like that. Well, I hope you do. And if you do, we'll do something crazy. And we'll have more coverage. Even more we'll make the front page of the New York Times. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do it. Okay. it. It might involve sacrificing Beckley, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a we'll small sacrifice. Anything, anything for the cause. There you yeah. go. See, Beckley, <laughs> where do you go from here? I mean, are you going to continue just doing your publishing, or do you have something else in mind? Oh, I don't know. It's, I'm getting up there. I've been doing this for years. It's hard to say. I, I never know what I, I, I never know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Never mind today. That's well, poetic, sort of. Um, no, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I've got about ten books I'm working on now. In fact, as I, I speak with you, I have a um, manuscript here 
giving the life story of Paul Villa. Paul Villa is the, well, I, w- I would say Billy Meyer, but let's put that in quotes, of uh, the uh, the U.S. in that he has these uh, series of interesting-looking UFO uh, photos in color. Uh, in fact, probably a half million of them were distributed going back 20 years ago on the face of a postcard. Everybody must have a copy of that postcard somewhere in their uh, their collection. Uh, Gabriel Green of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America put these out and send them to everybody to uh, show an authentic UFO. Uh, they're quite interesting photos, real or not real, who knows, but uh, it's an interesting uh, contact story that involves the the men in black and a, a repeated series of uh, encounters with the people from some other galaxy. Uh, I don't necessarily buy it, but it's an interesting uh, book, and uh, that's one that I'm working on now, and there'll be many others, I'm sure. And Jeremy, Actually, anybody, uh, did, yeah, go ahead. Anybody mm-hmm. who's interested, best thing to do, Go to Amazon.com, type in either uh, Timothy Beckley or Commander X or T. Lopsing Rampa or um, a couple of... Who is T. Lopsing Rampa? You don't remember T. Lopsing Rampa? I do, but I'm asking you to mention for our listeners. Oh, my goodness. The T. T. Lopsing Rampa was was one of the first actual walk-ins. He was a British plumber. Plumbers seem to be very very popular. He was the British version of Joe the Plumber. (laughs) Uh, Well, he was a little bit... Well, Uh I would say that. Um, but uh, the, he was taken over and possessed by the spirit of a Tibetan lama and wrote all about his activities uh, in, in Tibet, which actually isn't that unusual in um, in his field because, you know, even George Adamski had the royal order of, of Tibet long before he his uh, reported uh, reputed uh, contacts in the desert with Orthon. In fact, we just recently reprinted a very, very rare book called Pioneers of Space, which Adamski wrote in 1949. And some people uh, say, well, this proves that his story was, uh, you know, a, a crock, that uh, he just made it up and rewrote the science fiction, uh, but it, it doesn't really. Anyway, Pioneers of Space, which is selling for $700 as a used copy, you can now get a beautiful new copy for a lot less with a beautiful cover and an uh, introduction by Bill Hamilton and lots of added material, including a 1937 clipping from the L.A. Times, which has never been printed anywhere before, about um, Adamski's uh, the pre-UFO uh, uh, contact experiences. 1937. So we know that he was doing this long before his supposed contacts in the desert in 1951 and 52. Where do you find all this crazy material, Tim? Is what I, I'm, uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a researcher. I mean, I, di- I dig for it. I've been collecting this material, Gene, for how many years? It's just, it's overwhelming. I mean, there has to be more UFO material published than uh, anything else in the world. It's amazing. Well, with all that UFO material, why isn't the subject gaining more traction? Yes, we only well, have a minute for you to answer this. Well, well. <laughs> because there are more people writing about it than there are reading about it. I, I, that's, a, that's a great, that's a, you know... The Library of Congress, remember, did uh, uh, Cato, Lynn Cato, I believe was her, uh, was her name, did a, uh, a bibliography of UFO books, uh, and that was back around, what, 1968 or 69. That thing was as thick as the um, Manhattan Telephone book. And, and uh, I guess you could triple it or quadruple it since then. There's been more written on UFOs all over the world, I would guess, than almost any other subject. Oh, boy. And where do they uh, write you again, Tim? Mr. UFO 8, MRUFO8 at hotmail.com. Jeremy, where do they find the stuff that you do? Wait a second, Tim. Where do they get a copy of Lesbian Vampire Women from the Moon? Jeremy, please. <laughs> oh, sure. oh, drop it. Jeremy, where do they find out more information about you? No, 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 no. We don't allow that anymore. 
Jeremy, go ahead, please. Sorry. Um, Paul Villa no, photos, crap. Paul Villa photos, crap. Paul Villa photos, crap, crap. No overlapping, please. Paul Villa photos, crap. No. Paul Villa photos, crap. All crap. All fake. Paul Villa, crap. Garbage. Fake. Next. Jeremy, where did I get a hold of you, Jeremy? By the neck, of course, because I think they want to after this. Aliens.blogspot.com.earth.org. That's right. Something like that. Culturecontact.google.net. Jory. Jory, where can I find you, Jory? If you really want to find me, you go to coastcoastam.com. That's right. George Snorri. I love Jory. He taught me everything I know about crayons. I love crayons. <laughs> well, Ladies and gentlemen, ready for the ad. Yeah, what? you go to Amazon. Silence. And you get, and you get uh, the stuff. You get stuff that you get to buy. All right, you go to Amazon, you find stuff from Jeremy and from Tim and even from me, but none of it has to do with UFOs. Good night and good luck. <laughs> the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Piedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.